Jesus has said, the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are forth the spirit and life. Almighty God, we ask you to do just that. Please speak to us your word of life so that we may know you and love you more. And please strengthen your servant, Andres, by your spirit to teach your word clearly and faithfully. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Andres. Um, and uh, for those of you uh, who don't know me or are visiting, um, I am uh, Andres one of the uh, elders of the church. Uh, so the reserve bench, uh, as, as uh, I like to say, so unfortunately you, have, you don't get uh, Andis, uh, our uh, main preacher and speaker, so the quality won't be quite as great, but uh, hopefully there'll be something for everyone. Uh, as as Andis apologised about the numbers, I was, uh, I was freaking out because I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm reading this psalm and it's, it's, like, it's like not what I'm hearing. And then I start on the first song and I'm looking at number six going, oh my goodness, am I even going to be able to uh, preach this sermon and read my notes because something's happened, some dyslexia. Uh, so hopefully uh, th- that will, will click in and, uh, and we'll, we'll get, get through some uh, really interesting things. Uh, in this chapter, not just for leaders, but a little bit for every, everyone. But I thought, um, before we start, it's a good question to ask is, why do we, at Grace International, or any church, why do we need leaders? Not a rhetorical question, this is open, open for the audience. This is the one little part where you guys can, can uh, have some input. So why do we need leaders at church? So that things would happen, because if there's no leader, we're all just sitting back going, oh, who's going to take the lead? Yep, that, that's, that's a good reason. Why else do we need leaders at church? So that there's order. Yeah, so that someone can sort of, otherwise we've got people going in one direction, other people going in another direction, and there's chaos. Yeah, excellent point. And, any other reasons? Well, I would say to keep uh, to, the, to the word, yeah, uh, and also somehow to link the different churches. This is uh, how, how I see it. Yeah, just my opinion. Like. So, so to to be able to focus people back on the word, yeah. and to be able to link link us with other churches and with, with the big, big church, yes. full stop. Yeah, excellent. So these are all good reasons uh, to, for us to think about leadership. And there's, there's a lot for particular leaders in t- today's passage. So I hope you have a finger in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, because I'll be jumping around a little bit. Um, but what is important for all of us to, uh, today is to think about is what are the qualities that we should all have? So what are the qualities of leadership that we should all be working in ourselves? So just a quick overview of where we're at and why we've come to leadership. So we've heard uh, over the last few weeks, uh, so if you're new or visiting, we're in, in uh, the middle of our uh, sermon series on 1 Timothy. And we've heard, uh, firstly, how there are people in the church who have been focusing on myths and, and genealogies. There are others who have been focusing on legalism 
And in fact, two of them have been excommunicated in the end of uh, chapter 1. Um, and many in the church are forgetting what we see in chapter 1, verse 15. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. You see, as we said in our little question and answer session, the church needs guidance and needs orderly worship. And so chapter 2 was about that. It was about praying for authority. It was about how gender roles should be, uh, should be uh, set up in church, about how men should be lifting their hands up to pray, uh, prayer. And so the leadership needs to remind the congregation from chapter 2 that God is our saviour who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. And all of this, of course, is in the whole picture where we see in, uh, in the book of Revelation there are specific warnings for the Ephesians that they are forgetting their original love and joy that they had in Christ and becoming legalistic and rule-driven. So in chapter 3, what we have is, we have basically two different types of leadership styles, uh, or leadership roles, sorry, um, that uh, Paul highlights. And within that, we'll look at both those roles, and then we'll look at what are the leadership qualities that are there for all of us. Now, those of you uh, who have done any uh, management uh, theory, or have actually hired any managers, probably realise, as, as we read the list, there's probably not a lot of the things that we might ask in a, in a business. So you may notice the absence of uh, assertiveness, uh, decisiveness, emotional intelligence. Or what about skills such as, can the leader work in a team? Do they have charisma? What training have they done? Uh, none of that's in that list. So what seems to be more important, firstly, to God is what is on the inside, not what is on the outside. So let's first look at the two categories that we have. So firstly, the overseer or bishop, and secondly, the deacons. So the overseer or bishop, it's also used in some translations synonymously with pastor or elder. And later on in the, chap uh, in, in the, in the verses, in verses uh, 4, 5, and 12, we also see it used together with the word manager. Now, that is someone who directs the spiritual and practical uh, affairs of both the church and their home. Now, in modern days, in a modern church, this might include, say, the board of elders, the church council, uh, some, uh, the Presbyterians would have a session. As somebody who also who holds a pastoral office, such as our pastor, um, Andis, now, the Greek words uh, that, that you might uh, hear in English, uh, what they've become now, is firstly, presbyteros, uh, for the elder or overseer, which also gives us the word presbyter or presbyterial ministry. And the other, uh, other word, uh, which is used synonymously, is episkopoi, which has given us episcopal ministry. Um, so, what do they actually do? Well, they firstly public teachers. 
And they're the ones that regularly preach and teach the word. In some denominations, they may also be responsible for the sacraments. In a parallel passage, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 4, we read a little bit more about what they do. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and as a witness of Christ's sufferings, who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So the term overseer or bishop is firstly someone who watches over the church family and watches, as as someone mentioned earlier, with a biblical or a Bible worldview. And just as a shepherd of sheep looks after the sustenance and nourishment of the sheep, so too the elder should care for the spiritual sustenance of the congregation, watching over their life and their doctrine. And just as a shepherd would direct sheep to green pastures and direct them away from dangers, from cliffs or animals, so too an overseer should manage or direct the church to run and avoid, and avoid moving away from Jesus or avoid becoming a legalist or avoid arguing over secondary matters. So drawing away from what the church should not be to what the church should be. And just as Jesus talks about being the gate, the gate that stands between wild animals and the sheep, similarly, an elder or pastor should be the gate that protects the church from corrupt doctrine, from the legalists, from the liberals, or, or those that constantly want to argue about things that aren't important. And finally, as a shepherd is a hands-on with their flock, not directing the sheep from way back in the uh, uh, way back in the farmhouse, the overseer should also be hands-on with their sheep, preaching, <coughs> discipling, teaching the congregation. Now Jesus's followers uh, follow him because he calls them by name. So too. The elder or overseer should know his congregation by name, know their particular pains, their particular struggles, their particular difficulties. And just as Jesus lays down his life for his sheep, so too a good pastor or elder should be sacrificial for their sheep in their care. But what do they need to fulfil this role? So actually, unlike the management theory, there are two skills. Firstly, they need to run their own family or household. You don't get that often in an interview. But if you can't run your own household well, how are you going to expect to run the family of the church? Now, of course, uh, I think back and my wife's been away for uh, only a week and a half, out of two months, uh, and uh, already the things are starting to get messy and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, uh, does this preclude me? And... 
it, there is there is a difference in in the control, and and of course the the uh, the elders not responsible for the salvation of their children, but they are over how their children act or their respect of their children. Now the other skill is more importantly is they have skills in teaching God's word faithfully. Unlike those who are misrepresenting God's word with a works-based or prosperity kind of gospel. So yet again, we are reminded how important the Bible is. It should be the final judge and decision maker. Not tradition or some emotion. Luke uh, gives a bit more uh, flesh out in Acts 20, uh, verses 28 to 31. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. So our second category in the church is the deacons, from the, uh, the Greek daikoni, also translated as minister or servant. And now they, what they're involved is, they're involved in the practical tasks in church, the practical tasks in running the church. So in today's church, they might be the ones that sit and pray with people, the ones that help with everyday needs. Now, because it doesn't involve a teaching role, uh, what is important is uh, that uh, it is open uh, for all genders. So in Romans 16, for instance, Paul talks about Phoebe, who's commended as a deaconess. But what do they do? Well, they serve. But what does that look like? Well, we don't have a clear job description in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3 of what service looks like. But we can think about what service looks like in our church. It means packing the chairs up at the end of the day, preparing coffee, cleaning at the end of the day, arriving early to chat, for, chat with newcomers, sitting next to someone if they, if they, if they don't know anyone, visiting the sick, and generally having people over each week. What is important to know in a small church that even though the deacon might be officially in charge of these things, they're all, they're all actually things we should all be doing, aren't they? Because church is not a spectator sport. Okay? It's actually a support, it's actually a thing where we're all involved in. It's a family. We're all part of the body. We all have different skills. We all bring something to the mix. And we're, we're in, a, in a worse position if some of us aren't pitching in our little bit that we can add. So, however, each week uh, we announce that uh, women or men are on washing up. And what that is a call, for those that don't understand the history of it, and what that's a call is, is for someone to, for one of the genders to take a little bit more responsibility that week. But if you're a deacon, you're on every week. Maybe that should be an announcement. So what do they need to do to fulfill the role? 
They need to, verse 9, keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience, unlike unlike Alexander and Hymenaeus, who in chapter 1 were uh, rebuked. They should be the ones that can be relied upon in running the church. Someone spills coffee, the deacon spots it and he's right there. The toilet's dirty. They clean it before Andis actually even has to put on his gloves himself. A newcomer walks in nervously. They say hello. No one wants to do the church books or the finances. The deacon steps up and says, I'll do it. They assist the minister to focus on his job of the word. Because if if Andis is running around doing all these tasks and worrying about all these things... Uh, his, his sermons will be at my, my quality and worse. You know, you want him to be able to have that, that high-pitched, high-quality sermon each week. Now, as a result, we see an interesting verse. Those who have served well gain an excellent, verse 13, an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Hmm. So deacons are, are worth their weight in gold. But what it's saying is faithful serving helps everyone in the church. Faithful serving, though, also adds to the confidence of faith of the deacon themselves, which enables them to have a greater capacity to see other people's needs above their own. Again, this is revolutionary thought, because modern pop psychology would say, well, look after yourself first. You know, make sure you are all right. Make sure your own psychology is okay. And then when you've got yourself up up at a certain position, then you can help. But what, what Paul is telling Timothy is put other people there first. It's countercultural. Through service and focusing on others, we actually build ourselves up. So service and leadership is something we should aspire to, in verse 1. So what are some of the general take-home principles that we can all take home at the end of the day? Now, a friend of mine who was in the Australian Army Reserves said the Army Reserves basically had two types of uh, leadership. And uh, in Australia, these are the kind of Australianisms, they called them come-ons and go-ons. So there was one leader who would run out the front of their troops and say, come on, guys, come on, come on. And there would be another leader who would stand at the back and go, okay, go on, yeah, go on, go on. Now, what kind of leader is Paul describing here? I think he's describing the leader of a a come on leader, someone that is out the front and calling people to come with them. And this is why... The uh, the character is so important. This is why the character, when our leader is calling us to change our character, this is why it is so important that they have character. Now, remember, our chapter also started with a trustworthy statement that whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now, modern management theory would also agree 100% with this. In job interviews, we're encouraged to say what kind of future leadership uh, opportunities we'd like to pick up. 
how we'd like to be more managerial, how with time as we understand the organisation's vision and mission, we, we too will want to lead the team. But there's one main distinction. Church is not a business. We are part of God's army. Many churches have had great problems when they place leaders that may be excellent leaders in the secular world, but they don't have the heart of Christ. Or maybe they are good servants, but their motivations are all wrong. At church, we need to be extremely careful when we choose our leaders. Not just because they represent us, but because they represent Christ to the world. So the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom in Proverbs. And we need to remember the CEO that we are, we are uh, serving. It's not someone that has little practical jokes with the guys now and then. We serve the one true living God, creator of heaven and earth. Think about that for a second. The boss that we serve is the creator of heaven and earth, the one true living God. So is leadership aspiration enough? Paul gives an initial qualification. They must be above reproach. And then he lists numerous behaviours, which are like a litmus test to what that is. But wait a second. Who is actually above reproach among us? Now, there are always some of us that hear this list and think, yeah, I reckon I'm pretty good. So, for instance, okay, uh, aspire leadership, uh, yeah, tick. Uh, self-controlled, yes, I am self-controlled. Alcohol and violence, oh, no, I, I don't do that. And my children, oh, they're little geniuses and angels sent from heaven. Yeah, everyone knows that. Good reputation, yeah, yeah, I think everyone loves me, yeah. Yeah, of course I should lead. Now, this is dangerous. If you feel that way, you need to seriously reflect on your own motivations. Now, there are others of us who might say all the things, say all the right things, but if they're really honest with themselves, they feel that Jesus is actually lucky to have them on their team. Again, dangerous. So, what does it mean for us to be above reproach? Now, Jesus, of course, was certainly above reproach. Some may believe they're pretty close to Jesus and that, you know, God's change in their lives is, is their own doing. But we have to remember a verse that I highlighted in the beginning that Paul himself, who wrote numerous books of the New Testament, who was a church planter, who was tested both physically and spiritually, he, in chapter 1, verse 15, considers himself present tense, as one of the worst sinners. Man, so if Paul thinks he is one of the worst sinners, what kind of magnifying glass should we be putting on our own lives? What potential leaders should be doing then is seeking the opinion of others around them. The rest of the congregation, verse 7. How do others see them? Would an outsider think they are repentant, teachable and humble? This is why most denominations vote and discuss 
the appointment of leaders, elders and deacons. Because we do not serve Jesus in isolation. Now, another translation of a noble task is a good work, which connects chapter 2, verse 10, and chapter 5, verse 10. So one that desires to lead in the church desires a good work, something pleasing to the Lord. We should all desire to do good works, shouldn't we? Good works in response to the wonderful grace that Jesus showed us on the cross. So in our list of characteristics, we have some positive aspects, but we also have some warnings. Because all of us would have some memory where the church may have scarred us, where we may have felt uh, humiliated or hurt. All of us may know someone who was terribly treated in church or even abused. When your spiritual mentor behaves badly, it crushes a lot of people. The church has a lot to answer for and a lot to apologise for for taking people away from Jesus. Poor leadership decisions are detrimental to people's souls. So as one of the commentaries put it, Paul stresses in chapter 3 that leaders should seek purity in the areas of sex, speech, alcohol and money. Let's quickly look at all those. So firstly, sex. Are the person's sexual desires under under control? Are they the husband of one wife? Seems simple. Someone who is monogamous, faithful to one woman, forsaking all others. However, there are a few wrong interpretations that I just quickly want to take a quick aside for. Now, some people argue that they must be married. Okay, but this wouldn't make sense because both Paul and Jesus weren't married and look at their ministry. The second, the second interpretation that some people sometimes have is not divorced, or even some say not widowed. So not only do they need to be married, but they still need to be married to their first wife. Um, I believe that the Bible does treat uh, both divorce and widowhood as a license to remarry. And, and, and this is now a throwaway line, and it's a, it, it's, it, it requires a lot of scripture. Uh, but so happy to talk about it with um, over a, over a set of coffee. But what I do want to stress, though, is that God does hate divorce, and and even though um, we are covered by Jesus's grace, there needs to be certain uh, conversations, and things like that could certainly preclude preclude you from leadership. So most believe this passage is actually talking about not being a polygamist, especially given the Roman culture where people often had the wife and had one or two mistresses on the side. Pure speech. In contrast to those who argued about peripheral matters in chapter 1 and the false teachers in chapter 1 and chapter 6, those in leadership should have their speech under control. Temperate and self-controlled, not violent and not quarrelsome. We see that in verses 2, 3 and 11. An attitude of peace and a heart characterised by godliness in verse 3. Unlike many young men who are happy to have a verbal spar, they want the focus to be on Jesus in their speech and on the attitude. 
Not berating others, not using guilt, not using fear, not using a sense of duty, but loving and bringing kind words of grace, joy and salvation to others. It's no wonder we read many proverbs that talk about pleasant words being like honeycomb, sweet to the soul and help to the, uh, to the bones. Next, they need to be discerning with alcohol. Too much of a good thing uh, is also that, uh, something that needs to be considered. Paul encourages Timothy later on in the chapter to have a glass for his constitution. But if your brother struggles, don't drink. And more importantly, a leader should be characterised by restraint and control with an eye to the reputation of the church. Now, finances should also be under control. So someone who serves money cannot serve God. Like alcohol, money is not necessarily evil, but the love of it is. So what do you need to be careful about? Well, if you have a huge debt, that's probably going to consume a lot of your thinking. If you're constantly worried about what the latest fashion is or what else I need to buy or the travel or life experiences that I want to have, you may start drifting into dishonest gain or all of that might start taking up all your thinking. Like the false teachers in chapter 6, worry, who worry more about the financial gain from the gospel than God's, God's actual gospel... Uh, we need to have a balanced view of money. Interestingly, this is stressed in this passage more for deacons, maybe because they'll be visiting people or taking care of the finances. Paul wants leaders to be generous in terms of money, in terms of possessions, in terms of time, both with hospitality, verse 2, and trustworthiness in, with everything, in verse 11. So, not controlling sex, speech, alcohol and money have all been reasons Christian leaders have stumbled. God can be forgiving, but we don't want the precious name of the church dragged through the manure of bad behaviour of our leadership. So finally, elders and deacons need some track record in verses 6 and verses 10. They may have all the previous qualities, but they should not be new converts. Now, I know a few Christians that were thrust into leadership early, and it didn't end well for them or for the church. Firstly, pride is dangerous, especially when we start attributing tireless work and servitude to your own skills and to your own efforts. Secondly, teaching and doctrine and a deeper sense of an understanding of grace and, and a richness in your love of Jesus also comes with true maturity. Let alone a track record of fulfilling all the requirements that we've been talking about. Mature Christians are usually uh, more likely to love than condemn. Mature Christians understand the depth of their own sin generally more and are less likely to hold that they have all the answers. Mature Christians see more sin in themselves despite others seeing less. 
So in Christian circles, in hiring, often the catchphrase is character, chemistry with the rest of the team, and competence. Unfortunately, lots of churches struggle because they compromise on character. But where can we find such a leader? Luckily, we have an example of one who did come to serve, who did not succumb to the temptations of the world, who was not hypocritical, but loved unconditionally, who fought for correct theology and doctrine, who loved the sinner, who wished that all the world would come to salvation, who served even to the point of death, Let's never forget our good shepherd. And let's all go and serve likewise. So our chapter isn't only for leaders. We should all be desiring Christ's character. We should all be striving to be more like our shepherd Jesus, who gave his life for us, who has forgiven us all those times when we have fallen short ourselves who washes us clean for all the wrong that we have done and all the right we haven't, and whose grace invites each one of us to be changed by the Spirit and become a better version for ourselves. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 to 6, we read, Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Brothers and sisters, let's all desire a good task. Let's all desire Christ-like character and behaviour for ourselves and each other. And when we find someone who exhibits these in 1 Timothy chapter 3, pray for them. And ask God to keep raising up more leaders everywhere in the world for his mission. Ask God to raise up workers for all the ministries that our church is involved in. Pray for the leaders that we have. Pray for their character and their skill. Pray that they may have the heart of Jesus. Pray that we and they can protect the reputation of the church. And after all this, pray for God's grace. Firstly, for the members of the church and for the character of every member of Grace International to tell Riga and the world of our true leader and glorious shepherd and saviour, Jesus. Let's pray. (laughs) Father God, thank you for everyone at Grace International. Use us to get the wonderful message out to the international community of Latvia and further afield. Father, we pray for our leaders and their character. Keep them fighting the good fight and keep them above reproach. Protect them and their families and help us all to support our leaders. Help us also to aspire to the character of Jesus. Help us to be aware of our own sin 
and our own need for your grace. Help us all pitch in as members of your family. Keep us from arguing over secondary matters. Keep us away from legalism and liberalism. And may we glorify your precious name and that of your Son, Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, in whose name we pray. Amen.